fun for this week. My wife, Annie, is going to be doing our teaching, and we've got a couple ladies giving testimonies. Um, so I heard don't clap for her because that's weird. Okay, so just smile and make her feel welcome. So, Annie, c- come on up. Thank you. All right, I'm on. Okay. Um, this is not the place that I'm most comfortable you know, usually behind the scenes or sitting down there. So, um, yeah, bear with me. (laughs) So it's the second week of Advent, and we're moving towards Christmas. And I'm probably the only one, but I'm totally not ready. Uh, We had kind of a crazy week after Thanksgiving, and we still have pumpkins up in our house. And there's no Christmas tree. Haven't pulled out of the attic yet. And um, there are lights on the outside of our house, but that's only because we had something preset. So these people showed up before Thanksgiving and put lights up before I even knew what was happening. Um, but I feel really far behind, and I still have a lot to do to get ready um, on the inside of our house. So um, Psalm 37:7 tells us to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So I have a really hard time being still. Now, I'm not talking about physically. Physically, I can relax and rest and lay back. Um, And Jonathan likes to joke that I got my speed from Mom Mom, uh, my grandmother, who is known for being exceptionally slow and kind of puttering around at her own own pace. Um, But in my mind, the wheels are constantly turning, especially if there's a problem. Um, So if something's missing or not right, I want to research and problem solve and find just the right solution for anything that comes our way. Um, So I can Google or Amazon Prime my way through almost any issue. Um, But there's a lot of things that can't be solved by a Google search or delivered by Amazon in two days. So we can Google conflict resolution tactics, but we can't deliver reconciliation with the click of a button. And we can get a really good book on parenting on Amazon, but we can't make a prodigal child return home We can plan our ideal timeline for career and marriage and babies, but we can't control when that happens or make our dreams become a reality. We can make the best laid plans, but we can't control the outcomes. And usually the things that we can't make happen on our own, the things that we're left waiting for are the most important things. The Advent story, as told in the book of Luke, culminates with the birth of Jesus, but it begins with the story of Mary's cousins, Elizabeth and Zechariah. During the reign of King Herod the Great over Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah who served in the temple as part of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also from a family of priests, being a direct descendant of Aaron. They were both lovers of God, living virtuously and following the commandments of the Lord fully. But they were childless since Elizabeth was barren, and now they both were quite old. So they come from a good family. They're respected and have a really good reputation. They faithfully served and obeyed for a long time. But there's something missing. There's always a but. And I'm glad that my kids are not in here right now because they would be cracking up no pun intended, Um, and Sophie would be saying, booty butt, booty butt. So we've officially reached the age of butt jokes in our house. We're trying to end it, but our apologies if you interact with our kids. Lots of potty jokes. Um, There's always a butt. 
I read this week in an Advent devotional, um, we enter into Elizabeth and Zachariah's story at the low place of infertility, the obstacle of advanced age, the experience of disappointment and hope deferred. There are parts of our lives that we allow the world to see, often the most presentable parts. But on the inside, each of us carries disappointment or regret. So just like our house, the lights are on on the outside. We might be doing all the right things to serve God and honor him, to let our light shine. But on the inside, the reality is different. So are there places in your life where you've obeyed faithfully and served, but you don't seem to have anything to show for it? So what do we do with our disappointment and regret? What is the place of the biblical concept of hope amidst waiting? Not only were Zechariah and Elizabeth childless, but they were also very old, way past childbearing years. There had been the natural window of opportunity and it had passed them by. Life moved on and left them behind. Do you ever feel like that? Do you feel like you've missed your window of opportunity? You're still waiting on the thing that you thought would happen months or years ago. If that's where you are, um, I've got really good news for you. Because this is where hope enters. And I know what you're thinking. Because <laughs> the low places, those places that are carved out deep by suffering and disappointment and loss and unmet expectations, those are the places that seem to be hopeless. But those are not the places where hope is absent. It is actually in those places when we are at the end of our natural ability and the hope that the world offers runs out. That's where true gospel hope becomes possible. Hope begins in the dark. As Tolkien wrote in Lord of the Rings, you can only come to the morning through the shadows. Are you in the dark? Then you are nearer to hope than you can possibly know. So I'm going to invite some friends to come up and share their story of being in the dark. And I'm grateful for Shelby and Jamie for being willing to be vulnerable and share with us. Hi, um, for those of you who I haven't met yet, my name is Shelby Wilson, and I've been married to my husband, Justin, for almost eight years. Um, <clears throat> I'm battling a cough, so I'm just a little bit sorry about that. Uh, there's so much that I'd love to share with you guys about us and our story, um, like how we met and got married nine months later, or uh, exactly how tall we both are, but I don't have time, so I'm sorry. Um, I only have five minutes, so... <laughs> But what I am going to talk about today is our journey through infertility. Um, I think it's just got a little heavy, right? <laughs> but don't worry, this story has a happy ending. <laughs> um, so shortly after married, uh, Justin and I started trying for a baby. And after my first negative pregnancy test, I made a really important decision. Um, I just decided, like, I'm not going to cry about this. I'm not going to be sad about this. This is, I'm, this is in God's hands, and his timing is perfect. My faith is in him, and this isn't going to be a struggle. It's just going to be a journey. And it's like I knew right from the beginning that this was going to be a thing for us. Um, so months turned into years, and we continued on with our lives while trying to grow our family and growing closer to God. Um, but a turning point in our story came about three and a half years in uh, when I came across a verse that most of us have heard a dozen times. Uh, Mark eleven twenty three 23 through 24 says, 
Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And most people stop right there with that verse. But if you keep reading, verse 25 says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And that verse really convicted me. I've just kind of never seen that verse in this story. And it made me stop and think, who do I need to forgive? You know, could unforgiveness really be blocking my prayers for a child? I felt convicted that perhaps it was. And right away, three people came to my mind. And over the next two months, I reached out to those three people and asked them for forgiveness and forgave them as well. And it was incredibly healing for all of us. Um, One of those people was my mom, and little did I know she would unexpectedly pass away two years later. So I was so grateful for what the Lord taught me in my time of waiting for a child. The crazy thing is, that was in November of 2015, and three months later, after a few visits with a fertility specialist, I was pregnant. And we welcomed our son, Shepard, the following November. This past July... Uh, we started trying for another child, and we kind of fell ahead of the game because we had a fertility specialist. We kind of knew what we needed to do, and um, we started taking the same steps. And after nine months of trying, nothing had happened, and I lost my faith. I just felt like, you know what, this is our one child, and I feel so blessed by that. I'm sick of talking about trying to get pregnant. It's consumed half of our marriage. Let's just move on and enjoy our family as, as it is. And um, I wasn't sad, I I was just tired, and I was vulnerable with that, with those who were closest to me, um, including our small group and other believers and my husband. Um, So despite my husband's desire to just keep trying and pursuing, I I just said, you know what, I'm done. And we stopped seeing the doctor in April. Um, Because I was so open about our experience though, something really cool happened. Uh, In that April, I had three friends reach out to me within a 24-hour period. Uh, My friend Maggie told me that she had been praying for my heart, and her heart was just broken for me when mine wasn't broken. And I just think it's so cool that the Lord shared that. That's how he felt through her. And the word surrounded had come to her, and she knew that that word was for me, and she shared that with me. Uh, An hour later, my friend Corey called me to tell me that she had a vision of a baby being knit together in a womb with needle and yarn, and she was like, this is for you. I just had to call and tell you this. It's kind of crazy. And then the next day, my friend Nancy called me and asked me if she could pray for me, and she boldly spoke the word of God in the Bible about infertility over me and just told me to claim God's promises as my own. It was such a powerful day, and after all of that was over, I called each of them, and I told them what had happened, and I said, God's clearly not done with this situation yet. Thank you for sharing what he's shared with you, um, because it encouraged me. And so a week or so later, right here in Skyline during worship, I had a vision of my own, which had never happened before, and I wasn't thinking about babies or infertility, but I just had my eyes closed, and I could see an ultrasound. Uh, dancing before my eyes, and it just kind of popped open, and I was like, whoa, that was crazy. Um, And then the next month, I found out I was pregnant, Uh, and we had, I was like, what? How did this happen? We didn't go to the doctor. Like, this doesn't happen. So um, needless to say, I was shocked and so excited. 
Um, we're having a little girl next month, and her name is Shiloh, and that happens to be the name of the place where Hannah's prayers for her son Samuel were answered. So, um, I hope that my story encourages anyone who might be in the waiting room right now, and there are a few important lessons that I learned along the way that I hope you'll take away for, you, for, for yourself. How you spend your time in the waiting room is completely up to you. So keep that in mind if you're there right now. And listen for God because he wants to tell you something. And don't wait alone. Share your struggles with other believers who can pray for you and encourage you and who God can perhaps speak through and work in both of your lives. And last, if you know someone who is waiting on something, pray for them. It is the best thing that you can do for them. This is super condensed, and um, if this resonated with you, and if you have any questions, if you're in the same boat at all, it's an open invitation to come talk to me anytime. Thank you. Okay, like Annie, this is not my platform. My dad is a preacher, and that just skipped me. Um, so I'll probably read verbatim because I get nervous. Um, so my name is Jamie Kibbers, and I have been married to the second tallest man in this church, um, <laughs> right there for eight years now. Um, and we have one son named Sully, and he actually turns four years old tomorrow. Um, so I was asked to speak about hope in the waiting, and specifically our journey with waiting for a baby. Um, however, while that is a major part of our um, story, there was also a significant portion um, where we found hope in waiting in our marriage. And um, was not a part of my plan. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay. And, and it's just as much part of his story as it is my own. So we always had this expectation in our heart that we would get married and we were ready, we would get pregnant and start expanding our family without difficulty. However, that wasn't that simple. I should note that I am a planner. <laughs> I don't like, um, or I like to write out detailed itineraries for my vacations, down to what I'm going to order at a restaurant that I've already researched all the reviews on. Um, I did not plan to cry, so that's kind of frustrating. But <laughs> I like organization and structure and anticipating what's going to happen. I like to be in charge, and I wanted life to go just as I had it planned. <laughs> With that being said, um, my plans did not go as expected. And we have struggled with infertility for eight years. It was a long, painful, and oftentimes isolating journey. Um, we tried for years to make it happen with numerous drugs, visits to the chiropractor, old wives' tales, um, you name it, we did it. Um, we did seven intrauterine inseminations, also called IUIs, um, and then finally we did IVF, or in vitro. Um, we had numerous appointments and ultrasounds weekly at our fertility clinic, a painful egg retrieval, and then finally embryo transplants. My husband literally administered 
hundreds of very large shots in my stomach and in my back um, over the course of time at very specific timed moments throughout our journey with IVF. Um, with every shot, I felt a glimmer of hope that maybe, just maybe, it would work this time. Um, he's given me injections in my back on a walk in the neighborhood in um, the pet relief station in the airport. It's the only private spot available. Um, <laughs> he's given injections to me at Barrios, the bathroom at the restaurant downtown. Um, and a poor young girl walked in, so I'm sure she was very curious what was happening. The whole journey with IVF and infertility can just be so paralyzing and lonely, um, and the amount of tears that we had during this waiting period was sometimes unbearable. And during this process, um, God really reminded me of what he had in store for our little family. Um, we had so many wonderful people pray for us, um, reach out, um, even at the women's retreat earlier this year, reach out and pray and declare God's faithfulness. And at times, the thought of these words and prayers became just as painful as they continued to be unfulfilled. In the midst of this pain, each prayer was also covered with hope that I tucked away inside. At some point in our waiting, my tears stopped falling. I just tried to stop my heart from getting too much hope one more time for the fear of more disappointment. It was really difficult to come to grips with my expectations for what my life was supposed to be like versus what our reality was. Um, so we tried for this baby, also a success story, um, for 917 days before we finally found out that we were pregnant. We had just transferred two embryos um, in July, and one of the babies made it. When the medical team called just a few days later to tell me the news that we were one and a half weeks pregnant, it was pretty hard to believe, because um, most women know that's super early. <laughs> we had entered yet another season of waiting, though, because it was so early. We had so much fear of all the things that could go wrong in that first trimester. It really took many weeks of waiting and thinking, this is just all too good to be true. Um, and so at about 15 weeks, we finally saw the baby on the ultrasound for the third time, heard the heartbeat, and it finally started to sink in that we were pregnant. Our anticipation had finally become reality. And so now that we're pregnant with our second child, many people have asked if we had IVF um, or in vitro with Sully, our first child. And we had tried to get pregnant with him for over three years, and eventually we were able to have him naturally back in 2015. We recently found out, though, at my initial appointment at the fertility clinic with my doctor, why it took so long for us to get pregnant with Sully and with this baby. <clears throat> the very first thing he said, um, our doctor, was, well, I guess you're sitting here because you think I can help you get a baby and you can't do it on your own. It's like, all right, a little blunt. Um, so he's a very matter-of-fact doctor, dry, blunt, bedside manner, and kind of tells things how it is. Um, so setting that up, when I told him that we had conceived Sully, our first child, naturally, he just looked at me and blinked a few times. 
He looked back over our paperwork, went back through all our test results that we had done prior, and he got really quiet. I always remember his words exactly as he spoke them. He said, Jamie, the diagnosis that you guys have, there is less than a 1% chance for you to conceive a baby naturally. That child is here against all scientific odds. And I'm not sure how that happened, but that child's a miracle. tears came down my face because I instantly knew it was God. There is no explanation for him other than he was and is a miracle. God gave us this child against all odds. After that appointment, I walked to my car and sat in the parking garage and I wept. I replayed our conversation over and over and while the appointment was about trying for this baby I just, and starting the IVF journey, all I could think about was our very first miracle in the doctor's words. What that doctor didn't know was the additional miracle in the timing of that baby. During this earlier period, in 2015, my husband and I were in the most difficult stage of our marriage we had ever experienced. I had a deep longing and aching with me to have a child. I was very lonely. I thought, once I get pregnant, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have joy and be content. We kept wanting to have enough money, um, a bigger house, spending all of our energy on things that didn't matter, investing in our jobs, waiting to get pregnant, wanting a good marriage, but not willing to put in the work. We found out we were finally pregnant in the midst of all of that. And shortly after that, some of the terrible decisions I had made during those lonely times the year before were exposed. We had already been struggling in our marriage, but this revelation of what I had done pushed us to the brink of divorce. Our pregnancy was our only common ray of hope that held us together. My husband had every reason in the world to give up on me, and instead we stayed together and fought for our marriage and for the baby growing inside me. I believe God did all of this on his own strategic timing and not my own. I experienced God's grace in my marriage and Cal's grace for choices I had made. I thought I was waiting on God to work and move and do things in my life, but discovered that he had actually been waiting on us to turn to him. A baby would not heal our broken marriage and our wounds. Only God could. And we were so broken. But it took our marriage crumbling and our first pregnancy to realize that we had been waiting for things to happen on our own timing when God had a totally different plan for us. It was during this time we discovered lessons learned during our waiting period. And these are significant moments in our lives where we realized that we were in the midst of modern miracles. We have our current miracle of our IVF baby, the miracle of our first child being born against all scientific odds, and the miracle of the timing of God's promises in restoring our broken marriage. Our story is full of grace and hope in the waiting, redemption and faith. And during our entire struggle, it was really comforting to know that 
God never leaves and God never fails us. He doesn't necessarily take us on the path that people like Jamie have planned out perfectly. But instead, he shows up again and again, and he fulfills incredible blessings from waiting on him and trusting in his plan for our life. So today, we're very thankful for God's grace and mercy as he patiently waited for us to turn to him. Thank you so much for sharing, both of you. I'm just um, in awe by your strength and um, and just praising God, like, yeah, that he heard your prayers. Um, so in both of these stories, there's the but, the aching longing for something that's missing. There's waiting and uncertainty. There's doubt and questions. In the waiting, though, there's formation. But where do we start? What does active waiting look like? Romans 5 says that even in times of trouble, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's in the suffering and waiting that God is teaching us how to hope as he pours his love into our hearts. And I think the first step is to acknowledge and name our darkness. What is it that you've been waiting on? Because Romans 5 says that we don't have to manufacture hope on our own. It's in the walking through the suffering. It's in the formation that happens in that crucible that hope is produced. But we do have to acknowledge where we are. And um, what if those things that we're waiting on aren't given? God never promises promises that our seasons of waiting will end by receiving exactly what we want, how we want it. As we acknowledge where we are, I think it's okay to mourn. We mourn because mourning is the process of accepting reality and letting go of expectations that we've been holding on to that haven't been met, that we may have pinned our hopes on. Sometimes we have to let go of our expectations of how our life would go to be open to receive what God has for us. Our hope cannot be anchored in the thing that we're waiting for. It has to be anchored in something far greater. Psalm 25 promises us that no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. Our hope begins in the dark, and the light comes when our hope becomes anchored in the promises and character of God. Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. Our hope has to be anchored in the promises God has given us in Scripture. I don't know if it's easy for you to read, but um, here's just a few of those. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Lastly, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Hope also has to be anchored in the character of God. 
his unwavering goodness, faithfulness, and loving kindness. It's far too easy to view God's character through the lens of our situation instead of the other way around. If we're going through a hard time, then God must be harsh, or if we're going through a trial, then God must be angry at us. But that's using a backward lens. Flip it around, and you have to view your circumstance through the lens of God's character. If he is for us, then he is working for us in this trial. If he is our refuge, our strength, and our salvation, then we are safe. If he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, then we can rest in the fact that he will be merciful, gracious, and loving to us. If he is great and awesome, then he is able to work mightily in the midst of our waiting. The point is that we need to remember who God is and then view our circumstances through the lens of his character. We need to be still and know that he is God. Um, So as I wrap up, and I'm going to invite the band to come back up, I just want to ask, where are you right now? Are you in the dark? Do you feel like you've been left behind while everyone else keeps moving forward? As you're waiting, how are you waiting? Like Shelby and Jamie said, you get to choose how you spend your time in the waiting room. God wants to use that, so don't waste it. Um, We wanted to open up the altars for ministry time. And if you're in the dark right now and waiting on the dawn and just want some prayer, the altars are open. And um, I know Jamie and Shelby and I would love to pray for you, and there's several others. Um, If you need to name your darkness and have someone pray for you, please come. And one of the best ways for hope to begin is to let someone pray for you. They just say, God is waiting on you. He wants to show you his mercy and his love and his goodness and to fill your heart with love through his spirit. And so I want to ask everyone to stand as I read this passage from Psalm 42. And I would encourage you to close your eyes and open your palms and just receive the word of the Lord. And if any of this resonates with your soul, just come and kneel and we would love to pray for you. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will hope in you. From the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten about me? Why must I go on mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Don't put your hope in dreams. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Okay, the altars are open.